Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's Susanna Constantine here, and this is My Wardrobe Malfunction, the podcast about our fond, fabulous, and sometimes fraught relationship with the items we wear. This is the penultimate episode of Season 6. Welcome back to old friends and thanks for your support. If you're joining us for the first time, well, hello. Once you finish this, you'll have 46 episodes to catch up on, including Steph McGovern on jumpsuits, Jeremy Vine on hipsters and Alexandra Schulman on happy pants. But let's get on to today's guest. He's a comedian, best-selling author, screenwriter, TV presenter, and one of the few what-not-to-wear graduates who actually looked better before Trini and I got our hands on him. It's David Badil. Later in the episode, our house band duo play their extraordinary version of Hysteria from their new Gig in Your Garden album. But now, let's grab the handles open my wardrobe doors and find out what's inside. Right, so today I have an old friend who I haven't seen for a great many years, and that is comedian, TV presenter, novelist, David Badil. I can't believe you said yes to this, because the one thing I remember about you is the experience we had on What Not to Wear with Trini was pretty much a disaster, and we couldn't fix you um, <laughs> sartorially in any way, shape or form. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true, but that might be your fault. I think that might be, oh. uh, I feel it's me, not you. There, I, I am endlessly, I think, unfixable uh, from a fashion point of view. And that was your thing, I think, was like, like you sort of chose me as like your biggest challenge. <laughs> um, and perhaps it didn't work out. But I, I, had, I had a great time. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And there was one moment where I went a bit balmy, I remember, because you were both coming at me at some fitting, like the birds in the birds, I think I described <laughs> it as, and I was having to fend you off as you were sort of, you know, forcing me to wear my collar or whatever it was. And so that was a bit frightening for me. But in general, I, I, I used to love that show, which is why I said yes to doing it. I yeah. always thought it was a really great show. You may, Actually, my wife said to me yesterday that we talked briefly about doing a live show. You talked about a live show. And do you remember this? We had lunch, me and you. Yeah, and we had... Morwenna, yeah, my we, wife, and Trini to talk about a live show. Did that ever happen? Were we were we just cut out of it? I no, it never happened, and I don't know. It just sort of fizzled out. But I remember, yeah, we had this conversation, and you know, in doing that, we would have been so ahead of our time yeah. because now you've got all these novelists and Fane are doing these amazing live shows. So we kind of missed the boat there. But anyway, never mind. But um, yeah, no, I I was trying to remember. I can't go and get them if you want me to. Although we'd have to. Stop because they are actually upstairs. The clothes I've still got from what not to wear. 
Um, one of which is I've got a coat that I definitely still wear. I mean, basically, I did it to get some free clothes. Let's be honest. Yeah, of course, you did. But yeah. <laughs> you you made me not you personally, but you designed for me a sort of velvet purple suit. Do you remember that? No. It's a very nineties item, even though I think <laughs> I did, even though I think I did it in about two thousand and two. But it's really amazingly nineties. It's an all velvet purple suit. I think I did wear like once. Uh, out. Okay. Do you wear any of the other clothes, or are they just kind of? I wear. I wear. A, you got me quite a nice, long, slightly Arthur Daly from Minder coat, sort of uh, okay. suede coat. I can't remember what else you got me. Those are the two things I remember. And I think there was a sort of fashion show, as there always was at the end of it, <laughs> where yeah, I don't. I, I I don't know if I've ever sort of thought. I must wear that stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know what? Good memories, hey? Yeah. It's good memories. But, um, David, let's talk about Jewish men and clothes because my George, who is the chief wardrobe handler who you just met, um, he's Jewish and middle-aged, and he reckons that he could pick a Jewish man out of an identity lineup, even if they had paper bags over their heads because he says that, Clothes don't like Jewish men. What do you think about that? Um, well, I've just written this book called Jews Don't Count, and I could write a follow-up called Clothes Don't Like Jewish Men, I feel. Um, I, I, as someone who's become a bit more militant about his Jewishness in uh, mm. his later years, I would say it's probably true, but I would put it the other way around, which is that Jews don't particularly like clothes. I mean, it's probably wrong, and you're going to throw Ralph Lauren at me and whoever else uh, in high fashion was Jewish. Calvin Klein, was he Jewish? Anyway, but certainly amongst my Jewish friends, of whom I have a, a lot, because I basically grew up <laughs> totally around Jews, um, I think of them now, a lot of them are essentially, as you described, the middle-aged Jewish men. They all dress exactly the same, like me. Um, and I think it doesn't suggest the clothes don't like them it suggests that jews aren't very bothered about clothes this may not be true for jewish women i can't speak for jewish women but yeah okay so when you say that um do you just do you not just not care about clothes or do you do you, do you dress in the way you did still when you lost your virginity or got your first free you know legal pint in a pub <laughs> uh well when I did not what not to wear, one reason I did it is that I always felt it was a very insightful psychological program. Uh, I mean that unironically. You had someone on, you may or may mm. not remember, who in her video diary broke down uh, in the middle of the program and said, I realised the reason I dressed like this that you were trying to fix because it was very 80s was that was when I was happy. Uh, and yeah. it was incredibly moving, I remember thinking. However, I don't think it applies to me. I don't think I dress like this because I'm trying to recapture my youth. I think, mm. I mean, I, 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 I'm interested enough, well, I mean, not in how I dress, but, you know, I, I do recognise clothes as a kind of art form and I can see when people dress well that that's great or whatever. But for me as a person, and I'm, you, you know, I'm absurdly kind of stupidly honest about myself and I can't do anything. I literally, like, I won't do an accent that isn't mine unless I'm absolutely mm. forced to do it. For me as myself, it doesn't feel me to dress in any kind of, like, characterful way. It just feels like yeah. I can only dress and be myself, and this is me. This top is very me, and I've always kind of dressed like that. 
David, do you have a comfort blanket? Something that is, you know, makes you feel safe. It needn't be clothing. <laughs> well, I would say that would be my cats. If it's not clothing. Uh, <laughs> well, they could be your clothing. That's true. I've never skinned any of them. Um, <laughs> I always have a cat. I've got three at the moment. And I don't feel happy or certainly at peace without a cat in, in the vicinity in general. I prefer to have a cat with me at all times. Um, clothing wise, the nearest thing I can think of is I have a big parka uh, that I do wear quite a lot, although not like when it's not cold. But uh, I, I, that is probably my go to thing for feeling wrapped up is just a great big parka. Uh, mm. And then uh, I tend to wear just one type of trouser these days okay. i have made a sartorial decision which i've almost never done uh, about myself in general to do with growing older so frank skinner for example my friend who lives yeah. in my road about four years ago he decided that on telly at least he was always going to wear suits and he thought yeah. he thought i'm too old now he thought to dress casually the whole time that's kind of a young person's thing now i for the reasons I just stated, I don't think I could wear suits the whole time. It just feels not me. But I sort of knew what he meant. And now what I do is my little thing for that is I don't wear blue jeans anymore. I would just wear black jeans. In fact, that's what I wear every day is black jeans um, and, okay. and this kind of top. Uh, and so that's my okay. big age appropriate fashion statement. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think if you weren't as funny and I'm not flattering you here, this is just fair, if you weren't as funny, um, intelligent or successful, do you think you would care more about your appearance? Hmm, that is a really good question. Uh, well, I'm pretty secure, sort of, as a person, for better or worse, that sort of, like, very me thing, that I'm always me, uh, has managed to sort of make me feel fairly secure, even when I've had shit things going on in my life like anyone else and so I sort of feel I would be that person without all the fame and all the success that I have had um, and so I think probably I can't imagine I'd be dressing like early David Bowie who is a massive hero of mine by the way uh, so I love all that when someone else does it but it's not for me uh, but I can't imagine I'd have been dressing like that although having said all this if you go back to the 90s and look at some pictures of me, which always surprised me because I've forgotten. I'm there at the Comedy Awards in a kilt, for example. What? I'm in a kilt. Yeah, I wore a kilt and uh, sort of DMs, sort of like <laughs> um, ankle length DMs and a roll <laughs> neck jumper, a red roll neck you... jumper at the Comedy Awards. I mean, was that part of your? Was that part of the comedy? Or I think did so. You actually, think I'm going to wear a kilt today. No, I think I think it looks great. I think a bit of both back then. Back then, I think, I thought, I think this looks kind of cool, but there is something <laughs> funny about it as well. Um, so, yeah, I hope so. Uh, I mean, it's a bit of a blur some of those days. Mm -hmm. So my exact in incentive would be hard for me to go back and remember. But, um, no, yeah, definitely I've, I've put, pushed the boat out when I was younger and tried it. Uh, I mean, looking a bit florid, <laughs> a bit different. <laughs> but I don't think I've ever, it's never really sat easily on me. I mean, if, if you were yeah. to say to me, who do I think looks good as a bloke? 
Well, I would say like David Bowie looks amazing. I think that's one of the things I do love about David Bowie. I mean, I mainly love the music, but I, I look, you can almost pick any element of David Bowie looking ridiculously kind of big and exaggerated. And he's got these big trousers on. And, he, and I still think, but you look cool. I don't know how you do that. Mm. When everyone yeah. else at that time was looking ridiculous, you still look cool. Yeah. But do you think he is a fashion icon to you? Because it's safe in terms that you could and would never go there because he was pretty extreme. It's not like, well, he's my fashion icon. Mm, I can take a bit of the silver. I can take a bit of the, you know, the face makeup. I can wear really fucking tight Lurex trousers. Do you think that's why he's, there's something about that, that he's a safe icon? Because he's so unattainable. Well, I guess he's safe insofar as it's not very original of me to you know, choose him as a fashion icon. He's kind of, as you say, fairly unassailable. Uh, and there might be more, you know, people who, who are less obviously like cool than him. But I just do really love David yeah. Bowie. I mean, I mean, I have a I have a tight trousers story, actually, to, to tell you. I don't know if you want to be. But that's my that is my fashion disaster. This is that's the one. That well, I, that's I, fine. Let's hear about your tight trouser moment. OK, uh, well, it was an accident. Uh, so, hey, what's the name of this podcast again? My fashion. So, okay. So, what was your um, wardrobe malfunction? Wardrobe malfunction. Okay. So, I've had a few actually. I, I'm going to just tell you a recent one that isn't the one I, I'm going to focus on. But let me tell you a recent one. So, in the black jeans thing, I wear those on telly now. That's why I have black jeans, and I'm doing quite a serious documentary quite recently which was on uh, repeated just now about Holocaust denial. Yeah. Uh, okay. And that it got lots of, you know, good noise around it, that documentary and taken very seriously. But I was watching it and worried about a specific thing, which is I'd gone to Poland uh, to do something at a concentration camp, a sort of his historical bit. And when I got there, I realized the only black trousers I had were ones I'd bought from a charity shop that were kind of what do you call jeans that are not tight around the ankle, sort of not bell bottoms exactly, but and not flares. Oh, boot, yeah. boot leg. Yeah, but a very big kind of boot cut, like a really flappy boot cut, right? And we actually drove around on the way to, the, to this terrible place looking for a Polish place where I could buy other jeans because I said, I can't wear those at Chelmno concentration camp. They look ridiculous. And then we couldn't find it. And eventually I had to roll them up and you know we have great big thick turn-ups while I'm walking across these terrible killing fields and that's all I can see in that bit is like the, in all this seriousness I've got absurd great big turn-ups <laughs> uh, and actually someone on Twitter did say you know great great documentary what is going on with your trousers <laughs> so but not that one that isn't the one the big one for me I mean there's a few there's so many really um, uh, so I was a judge on the Booker Prize uh, in 2002 and we had a big meeting at the guild hall or somewhere to decide the winner and I couldn't go home because it was like a four-hour meeting so they said oh look we'll pick up your dinner suit um, and I said all right I don't quite know where it is um, and I don't keep it in a special place but I think it's sort of like, if you ask my person who's there, actually, from my then-girlfriend, now wife, who would have been probably, uh, I think it's here. Uh, and so, anyway, 
it arrived and we judge the winner and then it's time to change. So I get it out of the package and there's my dinner jacket looking absolutely great. For some reason, I have not put the trousers with that. With the trousers are a pair of tight Lurex stroke PVC punk <coughs> trousers that I don't think I've worn since 1979 that don't fit me anymore. Right, and that come up about halfway up my calves again, right? So they just look like bondage trousers, basically. And it's the Booker Prize, and I don't have time to get any other trousers. So I did wear those trousers. I remember I couldn't even do them up. I had to button up my jacket because they to do them to not show my pants, which are on show, and just keep sitting down. I basically didn't walk about during that entire Booker Prize. People said, David, come over here. Come to the bar. No, it's all right. It's all right. I'm fine over here. So that was terrible. That was a big, big mishap. And very typical for me. I'm, I am pretty successful, as you say, and it's all great, and I've done lots of things, but I'm a klutz at heart. Oh, my God. I don't know why I still even had those trousers. I, oh, you know, I don't... Then Why? Did you have a pair? Is that your David Bowie kind of Well, no, that, know, I, would, I do remember. This is also quite embarrassing. I, that's the thing is I'm also always very, very happy to talk about embarrassing things because as long as mm. they're funny. I think it's the case that when I first got a girlfriend and she was a punk rocker, I remember this was like 1978 or something, mm. uh, or early 80s. Now, it would have been early 80s, um, but still very punky. I... I'd been a bit of a hippie before then. And I thought, oh, no, now I'm going to be a punk rocker. So I bought those. And I do remember thinking, I look a bit sexy in these. And <laughs> I, I do even remember once when trying to convince this person that I was sexy and she should basically stay stay with me, bending over a sort of like <laughs> in a kind of like, oh, look at my ass in these trousers. Isn't it great? I, I mean, even I feel a bit embarrassed to have admitted that. But... Forgive me, I was 17. <laughs> so I think those the bending over look at my arse trousers were the ones that came back to haunt me at the Book of Rides. But the fact, as a 17-year-old, you know, awkward, insecure, the world hates me, 17-year-old, to have that confidence about your arse is pretty admirable. <laughs> admirable, but also wrong, if you know anything about my arse. <laughs> and I'm going to have to try and dig those photographs out. Well, of the booker? Yeah. I, I, I guess. It's worth having a look. There is also a photo that I dug up recently, which oh, I think sweet. was another event, a literary event, because I used to get invited to the Booker Prize even when I wasn't judging it. And I found a photo of me and Beryl Bainbridge. And I then noticed that I was wearing a kind of blouse underneath my dinner suit because it's kind of crenellated. Is that the word? Is that the word? Crinolated. Is that the word? What, like a crinkled, maybe? No, no, actual hole. Unironed. No, no, none of those things. No, more worse than that. Like a blouse type thing with actual little patterned holes here. And like... Crochet. Yeah. Like knitted. <laughs> it's hard to, you know, now you're expecting me to know what the fuck these things are. <laughs> what, like a, like, like a tea cosy? Yeah, a little bit, but it's silk. It was silk, I think. I, okay. I, there was a there was a point in my life where I really liked the idea of silk shirts, and okay. that was again not <laughs> to do with fashion. That was because I thought, oh, they feel quite nice, 
um, but they, they would often look a bit too shiny and ridiculous. And this one was a cream silk shirt. It didn't have a proper, it was definitely a woman's item because it didn't have a proper collar for a tie or anything. Uh, so I'd had to sort of fasten it with a bow tie badly because it didn't have a top button, right? It had just a sort of thing to show your cleavage off, right? And then these, yeah, these kind of like pattern holes on either side. Okay. I, I've definitely so, seen that photo. I can, I can send you that photo. I saw it recently. Yeah, that is just on the, on too the funny. But, but what, I mean, what were you thinking when you pulled that out and you thought, took it out from your wardrobe? Was it on a hanger or was it folded up? The shirt. When you took it out. The blouse. Yeah, the blouse. This slightly contradicts what I said earlier, which is I think that occasionally I have thought I'm going to wear something a little bit different as i say we talked about mm. the kilt and now we found another item so it's not true that i just wear you know middle-aged jew i'm not bothering clothes mm. but the problem is and i think i have learned this now and this we are talking about when i was younger i would always get it very wrong mm. I, I was wearing a silk i'm going to use the word crenellated because i don't know what else to say blouse <laughs> right i'm just looking it up now hang on crenellated okay i could i can find it for you. You know what? I would like to see the crinolated in Yeah, here's the problem. Shirt, which I, maybe... You have to look quite closely. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Crenulated. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. Crenulated, having an irregularly irregularly wavy or serrated outline okay, look. on a crenulated shoreline. Hang on, Susanna, right. Here I am with Beryl Bainbridge. This, this is, as I say, not the terrible trousers event this is another event at the book of prize right yeah. now oh hang on can you see it lift it up right so what's <laughs> right hang on can you see it can you see oh sort of. okay you're gonna have to send it to me because I, I am quite fascinated maybe it's Okay, I'm just wondering if I've, got, if I've got the original photo, but that involves me going to look in my photos, which is annoying. No, don't worry, but I do want to see it. Okay, I really want you to see it, uh, so that we understand what it is. And I might still have it, but that would that would involve me going away for five minutes to have a look at my shirts. Uh, and so, yeah. yeah, shall I do that? Well, if you, you, I don't mind. Yeah, I, I think you need to do it. Okay, all right, right. just, okay. just we hold, just. We're spending so much time talking hold about on, it. Hold You've on, hold on. Go and get the okay. flipping shirt. <laughs> I can't find it, sorry. What I have found is yeah. another treasure, which is the velvet suit. Okay. This is the velvet oh. suit. I don't know if you can see oh. in this light. Okay, that yeah. doesn't really show it, but this is not dark blue, which is what it appears to be in the light that I'm looking at. This is very purple. And it, which is a very good colour for you, David. That's what you told me at the time. <laughs> uh, and it's in beautifully kept in a plastic Yeah, it uh, hasn't come out of this bag. plastic bag until now. Uh, and it's I mean, not moths on it or anything. The lovely lining. Yeah. It's yeah. very hot, is what I would also say about it, because it's thick velvet. It's like wearing curtains. <laughs> Why don't you sell it on eBay? Because it's a memento of being on what not to wear. I really enjoyed the show and I want to keep my suit even though oh. even though I never wear it. Even though you never wear it. So um, what do your kind of fancy friends like David Walliams, mm. um, Jonathan, who Ross. Dress Jonathan Ross, who love 
close. Do they give you, do they say, oh, David, maybe you should think about something different or... No, but, no, I think they think of me, I think they like the fact that I don't do that kind of thing. Uh, not that they would be threatened if I did, but I think they, uh, you know, David and Jonathan or people like that, very much do think of me as I think as this sort of slightly scatty Jewish comedy intellectual, <laughs> slightly mm. the prof, <laughs> if you know yeah. what I mean. And I think they would be mightily confused if I turned up looking, you know, proper, looking like I yeah. suddenly had a proper makeover. Not that your makeover was not proper, <laughs> but you know, if I somehow managed to, you know, turn up looking like George Clooney, not that that would happen, but it, they would just be like confused by it. I mean, Jonathan, who I, I speak to virtually every day, uh, is someone who I think carries off clothes very well because he's always got an element of irony. He looks great, but there's always an element of irony as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do think that this might be coming from women, but I always think that for men in the public eye, to be too bothered about clothes and totally unironic and really want to look good, it never feels that great. I mean, that might be a sexist thing to say, but it feels that that's true, isn't it? I totally agree with you. It's very unsexy. Yeah. A man who tries too hard is very unsexy. Yeah. A man who's worrying all the time about looking too good, even mm -hmm. if he does look good, doesn't feel very sexy, yeah, for want of a better word, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so I'm really, really well, sexy from that point of view. So you are, no, you are really, and to, I mean, I've worked a lot in Israel, and to, the, the Israeli men are by far and away the sexiest men on the Well, they are, but they also are ripped and tanned. and Yeah, and they're all kind of, you know, ex-Mossad and been yeah, in the military. And, and, killed, yeah, killed people. <laughs> but they are very sexy. But you must have um, dressed up for your bar mitzvah when you were 13 years old. Well, I, I have a picture again. I was actually on, when I was on room one, in room 101, I tried to put this picture in room 101, which is of me. I mean, this is, you know, early to mid 70s, we're talking now. Uh, I was born in 1964, so actually 1977. And it's basically me looking like a terrible second car salesman. I mean, I've got a big, uh, like the lapels are like, fuck off lapels. <laughs> and then a big kipper tie. And the worst thing about that picture, which you kind of do need to see, is I model it, the suit. So there's a picture. <laughs> well, like in a catalogue. Yes, like it's a like catalogue a catalogue model. There's a picture of me that my parents took where I'm standing in the garden, sort of like this, right? Sort of like this. <laughs> and in that suit. And the terrible thing about it is that the chair that I put my foot on isn't garden furniture. Someone brought a chair out of the house for me to stand like that. And that's awful. Do you think you asked for the chair? You asked for that chair, didn't you? I probably did. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. I really hate to think of it. I hate to think that I said at the age of 13, you know what? I think this would look great if I had my foot up on a chair and my arm resting over it and smiling. That might be why I, I can't do anything with clothes, because when I came of age, it was a bad time. Uh, yeah. To say, apart from David Bowie, everyone looked ridiculous. And as I was yeah. becoming a man, which literally I was doing during the bar mitzvah, and wearing a man's clothes, that at the time meant great big lapels and a kipper tie. <laughs> oh, my God, that is just so... 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Funny, but is there anyone who, like, I mean, on the, on the kind of comedy circuit, um, it's sort of okay to, I mean, I, I can't think of, well, actually, you know, there are a few comedians like Michael McIntyre um, who wear a suit, but generally it's pretty scruffy, isn't it? Yeah, it, when I started in the 80s, it was a badge of honour, I think, to be scruffy, to show that you weren't like Jimmy Tarbuck, you know, that you weren't a comedian who would wear a dicky bow and, you know, at the Royal Variety Show, that you basically wore jeans and a jumper or whatever and that was definitely the the thing i think it's become a bit smarter in more recent years when comedy alternative comedy whatever that is is now much more the establishment and you know very good comedians like michael mcintyre and john bishop and people like that jason manford or whatever they tend to wear suits uh because there's something a bit of that sort of old variety comedian about them which is absolutely not a criticism uh, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, actually, I started wearing a jacket because I, I started doing stand up again before the pandemic. I was doing it, you know, these one man shows, which are not straightforward stand up. They're kind of storytelling theatre shows, but there's lots of jokes in them and comedy is at the heart of them. But they tend to be like I did one about my family and I did one about fame. I did a most recent one was about social media and rage on social media. And I do tend to open those shows wearing a jacket. And I don't really know why that is. Um, again, that might be a gesture towards age appropriateness. Uh, I don't know what it is. That uh, There's something about like my withered arms, <laughs> old flappy withered arms, <laughs> appearing in a T-shirt might be upsetting. Exactly, it's upsetting for the audience. <laughs> but I always take it off anyway. Yeah, maybe it's a form of protection. It might be. I mean, mm. I was on something yesterday. <clears throat> I was on this stand up to cancer program yesterday which is about comedy oh yes and i noticed without thinking about it i, I seem to be wearing a jacket on that and i thought why am i wearing a jacket I did, like clearly i thought i should wear a jacket and they described me slightly annoyingly on that program as an elder statesman of comedy uh, or jason did jason manford described me as an elder statesman of comedy and i thought oh now i've played into that by being the only one here who's wearing a jacket has anyone you know have you ever uh, ever had stylist when you've been making TV appearances try and put you in something? Or if you just... One thing Morwella says to me a lot is you have had a, you know, whatever it is, 35-year career, you've been on telly a lot, 
at no point do you seem to have had any kind of stylist or anyone <laughs> telling you what you should wear. And you know people do have that. And I'd always think, oh, yeah, they do, don't they? I No one's ever, that's never appeared in my life. Actually, I remember when Russell Brand first, like, first appeared, and he's someone who looks, can, can look amazing, also can look ridiculous, yeah. but sometimes in a good way. Um, and I think he carries it off well. But I remember becoming friendly with Russell, and, and he did have all those things. You know, they just had appeared from nowhere. You know, oh, he's got a stylist. He's got someone who works with him on clothes and hair and shit. Yeah, I just, none of those people ever approached me. <laughs> they never came near me. They were too frightened, I think. Do you think they were... Is that a bit disappointing? <laughs> like, no one is, so what's the point? I mean, you know, I don't care very much is the truth. And I, it, it is the truth about me. And this is a, this is like not borne out in a way by, by the reality. But I think in terms of what I'm saying, what I'm writing, not what I look like. Yeah. I do think about that. Yeah. Um, and so tend not to be offended. This happened on Twitter the other day. I posted, like, that's a good example, right? I fell off my bike the other day, and uh, I posted a picture of my arm, this arm, so they're looking a bit better now, uh, to, to demonstrate how badly I'd been hurt. But the, but in the picture, it was, I just looked shit. And then I posted a separate post saying, as ever, I've spent a lot of time curating this photo so that I look really amazing on social media, right? And then I, but it's true, that's what people do, and I don't. I just don't. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I'm not beyond looking at myself on telly or on social media and occasionally thinking, oh, oh, I look shit. Maybe I should have tried a bit harder not to. Because people yeah. obviously don't always just listen to what you say. They do make a lot of judgments about what you look yeah, like. Yeah, they do, but... At the same time, I just think there's, you know, that is, I mean, I've reached that stage now where I basically don't give a shit. Mm. And it's so much more important about how my, you know, what my thinking is, where my moral compass, and I don't mean that in a worthy way, yeah. is going, whether I'm funny, whether whether people like me because I'm such a people pleaser. That is so much more important, you know, clothes. I mean, look at me. I'm in my husband's T-shirt now and a really kind of old, saggy bra and dirty hair. And, God, I am so happy like that. And, I, you know, it's the same on social media. I don't, you know, obviously it's a beast you have to... Is it a problem for you, though, because you are associated with clothes, though? I'm not. So you deciding I'm not going to care, is that more of an issue? No. Right. No, well, I don't know, and I don't. I really do not give a shit. Thank you. And, and also, it's like, and I think that's part of the process when you know coming on something like what not to wear. You know that I know I can pull it out the bag if I have to, and I have clothes that I can just about squeeze into still, which are presentable. But on a day-to-day -day basis, it's it's like I look at myself and I think, well, you know, I'm nearly sixty. What is the point? And I don't feel, oh, poor Susanna, you know, what's mm. the point? I, I just think, you know, there, there is no point. No, I, I agree. I mean, I've always, you know, it's a shit thing, not a shit thing, but it, but it can feel like shit things. I've always been a feminist. And one of the things I'm very, very feminist about is I think it's unbearable the way that women are expected to look a certain way, judged almost mm. entirely on how they look and all that kind of stuff. And so any statement, particularly from somebody who's associated with you know how you look and how and what you wear that sort of says well actually this doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. i think is a good thing 
Yeah, I think. I mean, I hope so. Do you have? Do you have daughters? Yeah, I have a son and a daughter. How old's your daughter? Nineteen. Oh wow, same age as one of mine. So, how does she feel about um, her appearance? Uh, well, as far as I can make out, I mean, you'd have to ask her, but she seems very healthy yeah. about it. She is, in my opinion, very, very beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I know dads she say is. that, but yeah. I think she just is. But does but it... is she conscious about what? Does she make a big? No, effort? she doesn't. She, she doesn't. Good. I mean, she doesn't yeah. put herself. You know, she's on social media, well, but she's not. You know. She's not on it that much, uh, and I think isn't that bothered with it. Um, I mean, I know that if she wanted to, partly because of me and more weather or whatever, but partly just because she is very beautiful and she's also got a brilliant singing voice and she dances and all that stuff, you know, she could decide to weaponize all that and be, you know, I don't know what it is anymore, but like a big figure on Instagram or whatever it is, but she's not very bothered with it. To be yeah. honest, and I think yeah. that's good. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, so good. It's, yeah, so good. My son is but more I, bothered, I, I would say. He's sixteen, yeah. and he, I mean, he's he's like ten foot tall and looks like a ruffian, but he's quite curated ruffian, I would say. I think he, you know, he wears, as far as I can make out, a quite fashionable clothes for a young bloke these days. Um, mm. Quite scary clothes, <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> Is he ever tempted to go into your wardrobe? He, he goes into my wardrobe a lot, actually, because apparently, like, old football shirts, of which I have a thousand, are quite trendy. And, yeah, and also he's much thinner than me, so he puts on an old football shirt of mine and it hangs off him in a really cool way, whereas with me, it's slightly <laughs> bursting, <laughs> bursting at the seams. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the most money you've spent on an item of clothing? Mm. Not much. <laughs> really not much uh, oh, I'd be hard pushed for it to have been more than 100 quid uh, maybe some shoes I'll tell you what If I, I mean I have been quite assiduous in getting free clothes and I was going to tell you this story about that uh, which is, I do have another item here so this is my poshest item I think which is a Savile Row uh, dinner suit. Okay, this is this Ooh, is nice. after the fashion disaster wardrobe malfunction thing. I wore this, I think, at other Booker prizes that I went to or whatever, and it's nice, right? Uh, but I didn't pay for this. This is what happened okay. with this. I got asked by what was it? Uh, I can't remember. A Sunday supplement to go on a sort of body stroke fashion thing whereby a personal trainer would try and get my weight down and I'd go to a Savile Row tailor and they would say, right, when you are this weight of these measurements, we will make you four really posh suits and you're going to write every week. I wrote like an eight-week diary of my training in order to get into these suits, right? Yeah. So I met the guy. His name was... I think I can say it, Tim Bean, right? And that's what he does. He, like, trains people to get to a level that they want to be. He's a very good trainer. But unfortunately, he hit a bit of a rock with me, which was, he said to me when we began the process, here's how we're going to do it. You're going to put five grand into an escrow account. And if I don't get you into that, you know, these measurements and these suits, you don't get the money back. 
and that's your big incentive, right? And I said, fuck off, no. And he said, no, 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 don't worry, don't worry. No one has ever, I've done this lots of times, no one has ever not got the money back. It's just a really good psychological incentive. I said, all right, all right. So I did it, and I went to the gym with him every week and changed my diet and wrote about it, and it was a really good way, and I probably lost about a stone and a half or whatever. And then, in the last week, it was my birthday, and it was the 90s, and quite a lot of people just decided on that week, um, we're going to take David out. I think I went out like four times to eat. I drank quite a lot. Yeah, I, was, I had a really big birthday week, and I, I put on... <laughs> <laughs> just in that week, just enough weight that meant I couldn't get into the fucking sense, right? Not, not, not easily. And literally, this guy said to me, what have you done? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And he went, okay, well, just, just pretend, just write in your article that you did get down, because otherwise you can't have the money back. And I said, no, I can't do that. I am deeply honest. I'm giving the money to charity. I'm giving my charity because I didn't do it. And he said, but I won't be able to tell people that it's never not worked before. I said, well, that's bad luck. I'm sorry. So all of these suits are slightly too small for me. I mean, certainly now, now that I've you know, gone back to eating normally. But they were designed, designed for a weight and size I never reached. <laughs> oh my god, you are too much. I just, uh, you know, it's that, that breed of honesty is so important and today is just to say it how it is and you know it's it's imperfection to me to me being perfectly imperfect is where it's at <laughs> and you you represent that i mean you you are the altar to that i led the charge Susanna. i led the charge with imperfection for a long time ago <laughs> yeah but you're right though we live in a world where people spend too much time trying to suggest their lives are brilliant and uh, yeah. it's not it's not anything to do for me with trying to suggest my life is anything. It's just telling I find comedy and storytelling in stuff that happens to me. And I am a bit I'm, I'm a big old klutz. And for me, immediately, I always think this and I think it with more serious things as well. Like, you know, the book I've done about anti-Semitism or mm. the stuff I did about my mother's death, you know, whatever, my dad's dementia. For me, OK, how can I transform this into something that might talk to people right either make them laugh which is always a good thing or just make them feel less alone or whatever yeah. you know and help me to deal with it that's why i'm doing it yeah. you know it's not it's not designed to do anything it's just how mm. how i want to talk about stuff but I, I have actually read your book jews don't count and, and no, it was it's amazing and it's just so surprising i mean you you can you know speak about it but i was the the content of it is just like oh my god this is so true and it's not something you consider so yeah just just tell everyone a little bit about it uh well it's a polemic here it is uh yeah. it's a short polemic it's for the times literary supplement and they wrote they came to me and said we're doing these essay books uh, which are sort of, you know, meant to be 10,000 words, although that's actually 30,000 words, about a subject that, you know, whatever you want to talk about, really. And I had been writing diversely like in, in papers and on Twitter and elsewhere about how I felt, and this is well before Corbyn, I've been writing about it since 2002, that people who are avowedly anti-racist, progressive people, woke people, whatever you want to call them, the left, had somehow 
managed to neglect or miss out or in some cases be actively you know quite aggressive towards uh, Jews within their frame of talking about anti-racism and not just racism sort of all isms sort of all their concern mm. for minorities had somehow missed out the <clears throat> issue of anti-semitism and then during the Corbyn years that sort of came to a head and I had lots and lots of friends of mine left-wing friends of mine sort of saying to me oh it can't be true that you know there's anti-semitism on the left because the left is anti-racist it's like an incredibly simplistic view and so I would end up sort of like saying well here's how it happens and it's much more harder to see than right-wing anti-semitism which is which owns its anti-semitism you know right-wing mm. people far right people I'm talking about now mm. just say yeah we hate Jews and we want to yeah. kill them. That's what they do. Yeah. So that doesn't need any deconstruction, right? It's yeah. there in plain sight. The type of anti-Semitism I'm talking about does, because quite often it's unconscious or implicit or involves, you know, these blind spots or just not understanding what anti-Semitism is, because it's mm. not the same. As, or just uh, the fact that it's called anti-Semitism. It has a different term. Well, that in itself, like one of, the, one of the things that I talk about in the book, which, you know is a big issue is okay. uh, when I talk about anti-Semitism, people start going on about religion quite a lot. Mm. And they say, well, it's not racism because, uh, you know, uh, it's religious intolerance. And I say, well, I'm an atheist and the Gestapo would shoot me on sight. It wouldn't have got me any mm. free passes out of Auschwitz. Indeed, my many members of my family who were killed during the Holocaust were secular Jews. And most Jews are actually, you know, it's a mainly, certainly in Britain, it's a mainly secular community. Uh, and so that's part of the project of the book is for it to be recognised as an ethnicity and actually very little to do with religion. When people are anti-Jewish, uh, they don't ask whether you keep kosher. They just set light to your house or whatever they do. Uh, and so that, you know, is just one of like many, many kind of misconceptions I think the book tries to deal with. Mm. Well, it's, it's a really, I think it's a really vital and it's fascinating so I hope it does really well because, I mean, it's got amazing reviews, isn't it? But it caused quite a titter, Twitter titter. Oh, yeah, it's, there's been a lot of Twitter, but very positive, actually, most of it. I mean, obviously, I've had, yeah. I've had some horrible, vile stuff, which you always expect when you talk about anti-Semitism from both sides of the political spectrum. But actually, uh, it's also had a really good reaction from Jews. It's saying at last someone's sort of saying this stuff. And it, a lot of it feels like Jews have had this build-up of stuff that they feel too frightened, to some extent, to talk about. And the book does talk about it. But also, it seems to have shifted the dial a tiny bit with the progressives that it's aimed at. I have had yeah, people okay. say to me, oh, actually, this really challenged me. And I didn't realise, maybe, that my ways of thinking had these assumptions. And now I'll think again, which is mm. kind of all I could ask for with it. Mm. And also, last week, it was number three in the hardback charts. It was just below Captain Tom Moore's book. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, well, it, it, you know, it's like with everything you do, it's a serious subject, but it's also bloody funny. Yeah. You know, it, there's, a, there's a lightness to it, and it's, um, yeah, I really urge people to read it. So, um, my love, when you... Um, okay, I'm going to ask you a final question about your birthday suit. So... If you don't have a real one, obviously, what about a fantasy one? Stepping, you know, what, something that you would really love to wear that maybe you haven't dared to, or mm. it, do you actually have something? 
I don't have anything. I mean, those those uh, those dinner suits from Savile Row are my nearest thing to you know me wanting to wear something posh. Uh, if I could wear something, I mean, I just I just immediately imagine myself in something that like you're talking about, and I feel I look funny rather than cool. So, for example. Mm. If I was to wear what David Bowie is wearing on the Starman video, uh, where he's wearing, I think it's a, you know, I don't know the name of the designer. I actually know very, people really know about Bowie's fashion. And even though I'm a kind of super fan, I don't really know about his fashion. But it, it's a Japanese designer, I think. And it's a kind of blue, weird kind of wool. And do you know the one I mean? On, on the star, uh, on top of the pot. Yeah, Yoji Yamamoto. Yeah, I Yoji think. Yamamoto. I mean, that, yeah. well, that might be the big trousers. But yeah. either way, if I was to do that, I would look silly. I mean, it, on the Mary Whites experience, the f show I was first on, yeah. there's a sketch in which me and Rob Newman uh, take the piss out of Shakespeare's sister, who you may remember. They're quite fashionable. Yeah. That's Siobhan Fahey and, Mar uh, and I'm, I'm Marce Marcella Detroit in that, right? And I wear a really tight dress uh and i've got loads of makeup on and my hair's done or whatever and i look like marcella detroit but in a really absurd way somehow or other i mean obviously i would look absurd as marcella detroit but also just the fact i think i'm one of those people who you you put stuff on and i look silly i don't look i don't mold into it and oh my god he looks great i look silly and that's a boon as a comedian yeah you know yeah I mean, I am looking at you now and thinking, sort of it's in the back of my brain, thinking, okay, if I went shopping with David now, went and tried to give him a makeover, which... Well, what would uh, you I, get, mate? I'd think, okay, what would I do? And I've got to be honest, I've got absolutely no idea. <laughs> I'm beyond help, is what you're saying. If we, if we made it again... You don't now. need it! You don't need it because you've got such a memorable face. Your beard looks fantastic. You just, you just, oh, for fuck's sake, who gives a shit at the end of the day? <laughs> I quite like the idea, though, that we would do a revisited, me, you, Trini, like 20 years on, and we'd just start the program and say, fuck it, there's no point. <laughs> Crickets. <Yeah. laughs> and cut. Yeah, yeah. Very short. Well, David, you are, it's so lovely to see you. Me really too. is. And. Thank you so much. Um, Thank yeah, you very much. You know, All the best. Believe in perfection. Yeah, you take care. All Thank the very you. best. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, David. I just love that man. And I have to tell you, he does look bloody fantastic in what he's wearing, and I wouldn't change a thing. David's brilliant and important new book, Jews Don't Count, is out now and available in all bookshops and online. Right, before we go, it's time for another track from our house band duo's brand new Gig in Your Gardener album. Now this one's an absolute bloody scorcher.
that was Duo's cover of Hysteria by Muse. Just two classical guitars, can you believe it? Find Gig in Your Garden in our show notes or by going to duoguitarmusic.com or at Duo Guitar Music on Duo's socials. And you can find us on our website, mywardmel.com. Follow us at mywardmel on our socials and go on, give us a five-star rating and review us on your chosen podcast platform. Honestly, you're too kind. That's it. Thanks again so much to David, to Duo, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.